0: Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning, a weekly show that looks at my handpicked articles from InfoSec and Technology and why they matter. I put out the show in two forms, the podcast, which you're listening to now, and its companion newsletter that has all the stories, notes, and links, which you can subscribe to at danielmisor.com slash subscribe. All right, let's get started with episode 45. So I have the show broken into three different sections uh, for this week and potentially going forward as well. So it's InfoSec and Technology News, Ideas, Concepts, and Trends, and then Recommended Links. So those are the three sections, and I want to get started with InfoSec and Technology News. So uh, an Israeli company, a booter company called VDOS launched over 150,000 DDoS attacks, um, evidently within like the last two years and made over $600,000. And they basically revealed tons of uh, details when they got hacked just recently. This is a Brian Krebs article that... um, that he put out recently. And his site has actually been taken down uh, sporadically since he put the article out. So some people are not happy with the fact that he's sort of talking about the hack and describing the business. Uh, Evidently, this two years with the 600 grand and 150,000 DDoS attacks, it's just a small portion because it's not containing all the data from the few years before. So evidently, it's just like this, this pair, this two two guys, Israeli guys, who are running this business and had just been doing massive amounts of of DDoS. Um, They put out some of the stats and just how much they were putting out and doing, and it was insane. And they figured out um, that they were Israeli from a a few different methods, which uh, Krebs talks about in the article. Um, So their handles, for one, but also... Um, the fact that they refused to attack anyone in Israel. Uh, so it started getting pretty obvious at some point, but uh, interesting story. So uh, U.S. Motor Company, General Motors, uh, recalling 4 million vehicles worldwide uh, due to a software bug linked to at least one death. So uh, it actually caused the airbags and seatbelts to malfunction during a crash. Um, and it's not able to be fixed over an over-the-air update. So you have to bring in the vehicle to fix it. Um, It's unfortunate, but uh, GM actually focuses quite a bit on security for their products. Um, We've seen this in the industry uh, that I know about because of um, just watching the automotive industry and safety around that. And GM has been pretty proactive. So hopefully uh, it won't be too long before over-the-air updates are pretty common. Um, across the industry, but definitely with GM. So uh, nation states are possibly building a system for like taking down the internet. And this is mostly like China and Russia. But um, this is an article from Bruce Schneier. Um, there are a whole bunch of companies that kind of host the infrastructure that keep the internet going. And they've been getting probed in a regular way, almost like in a, a, a very organized campaign to see how tolerant or, or how able to respond they are to various amounts of bandwidth at various times. So they would start start low, ramp up the amount of bandwidth in the attack, and then stop and then start again in a few days or a, or a couple weeks, and start again at the level that they were at before, and then raise that up to just see how how much uh, it took to actually, diminish the service so it's like there's a orchestrated campaign across all these different companies coming from these sources to figure out what it takes to like melt the infrastructure Um, so there's a bunch of theories out there that basically this is part of a larger thing which could be used as part of a, a major campaign so if you're going to do something physically or kinetically they say in the military Um, you know, you launch this at the same time and now the internet is down and people are freaking out and, you know, it's, it's hard to see exactly what's going on. It's a fog of war type stuff. Really interesting. Uh, tech companies, including Uber, Dropbox, Twitter, and Docker joined forces to create a vendor security alliance, which, uh, is looking to vet, uh, security vendor practices. Pretty interesting. Uh, There's a critical vulnerability in MySQL. You want to patch as soon as you can, if you haven't already. Uh, General Colin Powell's personal email was hacked, uh, revealing that Clinton evidently hates Obama for beating her in uh, 2008, and uh, talks about a bunch of other stuff that's kind of embarrassing and harmful to the Democrats, including, like, uh, he mentioned how sick she was before going to do some sort of talk at some event um, and her ba- barely getting up the stairs and that kind of stuff. Uh, really interesting seeing how many of these types of hacks have happened. Don't actually have it as a separate story bullet here, but um, there was a rumor that the RNC got hacked. That was later uh, retracted by whoever put that out. But the DNC got hacked. Um, Clinton's email server uh, reportedly has been hacked it looks and a lot of people are saying it really looks like Russia is doing this. So the other one is the, um, the state elections, um, bunch of groups related to handling the integrity of elections have evidently been hacked also by Russia. It looks like, so it's like Russia is like waging a campaign to change the direction of the election. And, uh, I talked about in a previous podcast that it really looks like they're trying to get Trump elected so that everything will go sideways so that they can emerge as the savior. And that, that is still my theory. Um, and more and more evidence is pointing to Russia being behind a lot of this. So uh, head of National Security Agency Admiral Michael Rogers says on Tuesday that he is concerned about the possibility of Russia hacking the U.S. general um, election process or U.S. electoral process, which I assume would include the, the general one. So this is kind of very much related to the previous point, which is um, they're coming out and saying, and this is the NSA director, right, the head of NSA saying, yeah, it's Russia. So, I mean, wow. That it's guy is ballsy, um, which is why Trump likes him, I guess. So NAND mirroring technique confirmed to work at bypassing passcodes for iPhone 5C. So someone was doing research on the 5C, and they're doing this mirroring technique where you actually try... Um, To brute force a password, you run out of attempts and you mirror again, you try again, you mirror again, you try again. And if you go through this process, it only takes a number of days or weeks to actually eventually get the password. So it is uh, on this particular model. It's not the same in later iPhones, but on this particular model, you can actually carry out this type of attack, which is uh, super interesting. Uh, Four apps have been removed from the Google Play Store for including malware called Overseer, which enabled creators to track the victim's current location and details of who and when you're emailing someone. So this is uh, Android stuff, and it's malware called Overseer and uh, nasty stuff. And Google had to pull the stuff from the Play Store because it was four different apps infested with this stuff. Um, Committee of Central Banks uh, within the Bank for International Settlements, BIS, has set up a separate task force to oversee the security of banks and establish standards for financial bodies to follow during cross-border banking. So this is to address the SWIFT stuff that happened. And they're trying to get it basically um, almost like an FSISAC, I imagine but something to particularly address these particular threats. Uh, FBI director James Comey recommends that you cover your webcams. Um, Just saw the Snowden movie, and he recommended that as well. Tons of people in InfoSec already do this. And uh, now when the FBI director is saying, yeah, I do it, and you should too, maybe time to start considering it. All right, switching to uh, some tech news. Um, so HP buys Samsung's printer business. Um, more evidence of a tightening focus for HPE and HP. So they basically split off the software business and the HPE. Then they split out the software business from HPE to Micro Focus. And now they're buying more printer market share on the HP side. So it looks like they're really tightening their focus to pure hardware. Um, this is really interesting. Amazon looking to open 100 physical, you know, brick-and-mortar stores in U.S. malls to push its hardware products. So they're not going to sell everything you could buy on Amazon, which is not really possible. But they're looking to sell their voice-controlled stuff, like Echo and Alexa and Dot and their uh, their – That is Alexa talking to me right now because I said her name. See the Alexa app for more information. That is fascinating. I talked about that before on the podcast, but whenever you say her name, which I cannot say her name, it gets invoked. Like, I've been thinking of so many different ways you can attack this. Like, imagine running up behind a newscaster. L- let's say it's much longer, um, much, much further in the future and like tons of people have these things. And the keyword is that same name that starts with A, which we shall not say like Voldemort. And um, you just run up behind the newscaster on the nine o'clock news or whatever, and you issue a command like to make a web request or something, some sort of bug, right? And just like millions of people suddenly do that unbeknownst to them because there's no voice recognition. Um, I imagine voice recognition will be added soon but until then, crazy. Like I say the name during a podcast and there she goes. Um, anyway, they're looking to open 100 stores to sell that technology and have people actually interact with it and do demos and stuff like that, which will definitely raise awareness and raise sales. So that's pretty interesting. Um, GitHub adds tons of features to combat uh, GitLab. So GitLab is like a local open source version of of github and um they've been kind of kicking ass and github's kind of been lacking on features and people have been getting kind of pissed about it so um they just put out a whole bunch of stuff last week um so it's like project management which competes with like Trello code reviews uh allow you to have approval workflows which you can even make mandatory before code goes uh, gets pushed, uh, a graphical UI to query the database, and you can also now enforce two-factor authentication within organizations. Um, you also get summarized timelines for your submissions. So um, it, also, the profile page looks totally different. I just saw mine the other day, <clears throat> and it's definitely different. But um, yeah, pretty cool. Um, pretty cool features they just put out. Uh, Xiaomi is known for copying other people's phones. This is a Chinese vendor known for copying other people's phones, including Apple and Samsung. Um, but the issue exploded, uh, recently when their clones of the Samsung galaxy note seven started catching on fire. That was my headline. I wrote that it was horrible. I apologize for how dumb that was, but I think it was awesome too. Um, so basically, how do you know that something's being copied is when you copy the bug as well. That That's hilarious. So imagine like someone saying, no, I didn't copy the Samsung phone. Like, no, definitely not. And then they both blow up at the same time. It's like, well, that's complete coincidence. I find that hilarious. Um, Bluetooth headphones already outselling wired alternatives. So Apple has been getting tons of crap for getting rid of the, the uh, headphone jack, which I guess came onto the scene about 100 years ago, um, which is, I guess, the time of the car coming onto the scene. But it's ancient technology. They're getting rid of it to kind of move things forward towards wireless. And now um, Bluetooth headphones actually already, not not because of this, unrelated to this, but they're already outselling wired headphones so maybe it was time onyx star trek communicator walkie talkies are about to integrate with i won't say her name it's the amazon name um rhymes with never mind i can't do that either <laughs> um so anyway these these little things are uh, super cool if you watch the video and i got links to all this in the newsletter by the way you should go and get the newsletter because it's a companion to the podcast that you're listening to. But um, the Onyx Star Trek communicator. So it's like this circle you put right where the um, communicator thing is for on, on Next Generation. And you just press it and you talk. And the other endpoint can be other people with another communicator. It could be a voice memo or whatever. But you just press, talk, press, talk. Like It's a walkie-talkie. But it's Star trek Like, I don't know why I don't own a bunch of these already. And I'm probably about to. Especially when it starts integrating with the Amazon stuff. Sounds super cool. Um, Samsung looking to introduce their own proprietary headphone jack. So, so Apple puts theirs out. They get a bunch of crap about it. And then Samsung's like, oh, yeah, we're actually doing that too. So we'll see how that is... Uh, accepted or received. Apple hires a bunch of AR people, augmented reality people from Oculus and Magic Leap. I have no idea what Apple is doing with augmented reality. I honestly don't. I I don't get it. We have a phone, right? You got 3D touch, right? You, You could press in, it's forced touch. Like To me, augmented reality, which I'm writing a whole bunch about in in my book, which should be coming soon, but you've heard that 40 times. And at this point, you don't believe me, but um, it really is getting close. But I write about AR and to me, AR requires a visor. It requires a lens. It requires a, a way to see the world differently. So unless you have something that's augmenting your vision, well, actually, it doesn't have to be vision, as as I mentioned in the book. It could actually be auditory. It could be touch and smell and lots of different things. But in general, it's going to be visual first. And I don't see how Apple is going to do that. Um, maybe they're going to put out a visor that you actually walk around with. But then they're going to have the Google Glass problem, and that's going to be drama. I, I, it's just very interesting to me, like, that they're putting so much effort into this, but I have no idea what they're going to do. And I haven't heard anyone give a good explanation for what they might do either. But Tim Cook keeps talking about um, them being into it. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm sure Google and Microsoft and and everyone else will be doing it as well. We already know Facebook is working a ton on it. So can't wait to see uh, the new options for these interfaces. Um, The sugar industry basically created an entire generation of people with poor health and spawned the diabetes epidemic by paying scientists to pretend the problem was fat, when in fact the problem was sugar the whole time. So scientists being paid off by big business to pretend the problem was fat. This is criminal stuff, Criminal. And uh, final link here uh, from last week, watch bacteria evolve in 11 days to overcome 1,000 times strength antibiotics. So they actually had bands on the outside moving in. It was like half strength, double strength, like five times strength, 10 times strength, like 100 times and then 1,000 in the middle. And you watch these generations because it's all about evolution. So it's live evolution. You watch in this time-lapse photo and you see the bacteria on the outside just get completely destroyed by the antibiotics. But then it learns a little bit and you see uh, basically offspring um, evolve the ability to defend against that level. And it starts branching out towards the center. And it slows down again when it hits the new band, slows down very, very quickly slows down, like it hits a wall. But then you see these little branches come out and those are resistant. Those offspring are resistant. It moves into the next band, hits the next band, boom, hits a wall, stops again. And within 11 days, it can handle 1000 times the strength of that antibiotic. And I'm like, what are we doing to solve this? Like, this is a problem. This is a problem. And I, I hope people are taking it serious enough somewhere in r and D, I I hope there's money in it, um, which I imagine there will be if millions of people start dying. But, uh, yeah, kind of frightening. All right, next section, ideas, concepts, and trends. So, this section, I talk about uh, some of which are is my own writing and other things, uh, other parts of it, other sections are just really interesting concepts that I found from wherever. So um, in all cases, it's a concept or a trend or an idea, which is more than just a new story. It doesn't need to come from last week, um, but it's just a concept. So first one, leaning in on new technologies. Uh, to get the full benefit, you basically have to treat new technology as if it works perfectly. So a great example of this is Siri, um, the Amazon one, I won't say her name, uh, because she will start participating in the, in the podcast like she just did. Um, Google Now, all these different personal assistant technologies um, are based on, you're supposed to be using it naturally. And if you don't use it naturally, if you don't just assume it's going to work, then it won't really work for you because you're kind of thinking about the syntax and you're like, oh, I wonder if it does that. Oh, let me pull up a list of things I could do and let me try one. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to just, I'm calling it leaning in. It's got another context, which hopefully isn't offensive. But um, you you lean in, you're just like, oh, I'm just going to assume it's from the future and it's amazing and it'll work. And if you do this, it will often work much better than you think. So there's another example. Um, so my girl Susan, she was uh, using um, the uh, iPad Pro and the, and the pencil. And she was drawing. And I, I saw her hovering her hand above the surface and w- was writing. And she was it was very awkward. And I'm like, no, you, you lay your hand on it. They made it so you can put your your palm on it, and you could just draw normally. And once she did that, she started doing much better, of course. And the whole point of that is, that is what advanced technology allows you to do, is behave normally. And if you don't do that, if you're working around the technology, then you're probably not using most of the features that are there because um, they're made to be used like you would just, like you should, in the ideal way. So, so the short, short recommendation there is if you have a new technology that claims to be futuristic, like, oh, you could just write on it like normal. Don't think, just do. And if someone says, oh, here's a personal assistant, it works naturally. Don't think about what its capabilities are. Just assume it has perfect capabilities and let yourself learn about the limitations later. That. It won't get you to perfect because nothing is perfect, but it will get you to the maximum of what that tech can do. So the next one is uh, the fear of AI actually means two different things. This was another post I wrote this week. And um, I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, AI is going to get us. Um, Oh, you should be very afraid of AI. Like Elon Musk is talking about it. Um, Lots of different people are talking about it's going to take all our jobs. Or whatever. And and there's two different things. This is the whole point of the post is that there's actually two different kinds of AI people are talking about when they make these claims of how dangerous it is, right? One AI is like Skynet, right? Super, super intelligent, new emergent life form just decides that we are bacteria and we need to be exterminated and it builds machines that represent it and it tries to kill us off or enslave us or something. Okay, that's bad. We'll put that in the bad column. That's one type of AI. There's another kind, which is just, it's much more benign and realistic or achievable, not necessarily realistic, um, because the other one could be realistic as well. But it's less of a meteor shot and more of a, yeah, it's happening already. And that's machine learning and automation and just computers in general. Um, it's self-checkout lines at Walmart, right? It's it's the removal of the need for human work um, and changing the human workforce because it, it's much more efficient for companies to use automation and AI to do their jobs instead of hiring people who sue them and get sick and are dumb and don't want to learn um, or whatever. So these are two very different things. The first one you're worried about an existential threat of, yeah, maybe we, <clears throat> maybe we all just get murdered by machines because, you know, the Skynet comes and kills us all or launches nukes or whatever. And then the other one is maybe AI in a much more normal and and approachable and actually happening already form just takes away billions of jobs. And there's nothing for us to do because we are not nearly as good at it as anyone, as automation. And so companies, when they're, they have a choice of should I hire this robot or this algorithm, or should I hire, you know, Bob Smith, the answer is always the automation. And so Bob Smith has nothing to do. And now you're in a revolution conversation. You're in a basic income conversation. You're in a conversation that says, What do we do with billions of people who have no work? And it's a a societal problem, right? Humans want to feel valuable. They want to feel like they are contributing. They want to feel like they matter. And if they suddenly are not needed to propagate things, then we need to find another way to make us feel valuable, right? And whether that's creation, now everyone becomes an artist and everyone's a musician. That's a problem too because we already have – Algorithms that can create create great music and great art. Um, So the question is, what are we going to do if we don't have to go to work? So two different threats, both bad, but both very different. Um, So interesting to think about the distinction there. Uh, There's no difference between things and Internet of Things. This is uh, another piece that I wrote last week. So this one is basically, I I heard a bunch last week and just read articles all the time and I've done panels and talks and stuff where a lot of people are talking about what does it mean, the internet of things? Is it the internet? Is it anything with a network? Like it's just been hashed and rehashed so many times. I, I think the best explanation, the best way to describe it is to say that the internet of things is just things. All it is. Just imagine, forget the internet of things, forget the internet, forget all that stuff. And just imagine that every single thing that you know of, cars, car keys, you know, headphones, furniture, cities, businesses, people, everything is a thing, okay? And all those things are now interactive. They're all interactable. That's not a real word. It is now. Um, you can make requests of them. They know everything about themselves. You can ask them about themselves. You can ask them to do things for you. You can have the windows raise the shades and lower the shades, turn, turn the uh, transparency up or down. You could tell the car to unlock. You could tell it to drive. It, everything is a thing, and you could tell it what to do, and you can pull information about it, and all the things can talk to all the other things. That's all the Internet of Things is. The Internet of Things is just kind of an, a, a bad approximation of a term for what this is. <clears throat> but it's really just regular stuff that's connected, that you can interact with. Every object has an API, and they all talk to each other. And that's, that's it. All right, next one. IoT plus SSRF. Uh, so this is a technical post I wrote about, or at least the idea is about a technical thing, <clears throat> which is the possibility of SSRF, which is server-side request forgery, becoming a really big issue in the future because of IoT. So basically, as all these things come online, and they're available externally, so facing the internet, SSRF as a as a refresher is a server-side request forgery. So this means you make a request to object A, and object A makes a request based on what you sent to object A. It makes a request to object B, which you can't actually get to. So I want to pull an Etsy password file from the inside of a network, um, an internal network on whatever, Acme Corp's private LAN, right? Um, I can't talk to object B, but I can talk to, talk to object A because it's an IoT device or it faces the internet or whatever. So what happens is I make a request which contains a request for object B. I make that request to object A. Object A gets it from B. And in its response to me, it also sends the response of Etsy password from B. So I get it indirectly. Now, what it requires is that I know what the request looks like for object B because I have to send that request inside of the request to object A so that it gets forwarded on or proxied on. So what happens is as the stacks mature, as you know more and more about internal networks because the stacks are standardized, and as more and more external systems are available through IoT, these are gonna get way more popular. These attacks are gonna become commonplace, I think, um, because you're going to know what that stack looks like, and there's going to be so many more targets. So that's what that was about. <clears throat> um, misuse of the terms out of band and blind when naming vulnerabilities. This one has been irking me for some time, but I just saw last week a uh, an article about blind SSRF, which is what we just talked about. And I'm like, blind SSRF? What? people want to add these things like blind and out of band to the front of the name of the vulnerability to make it sound more cool. They're like, yeah, SSRF is cool, but blind SSRF, that's super cool. And I'm like, no, hold on. You're making a request to A. Okay, that's a regular request. The request that's made from A to B, you don't see. You don't control it exactly. You're making an assumption. It's abstracted, it's proxied. It's indirect. That's what blind is, is when you don't have full control of the response or the request. It's blind. It's a shot in the dark, right? So blind is redundant in that case, right? And then I started thinking about um, XSS, cross-site scripting, um, CSERF, SQL injection, and like which ones of these are in what classifications, right? So basically, blind SQL injection. You're not getting like this verbose output. That's why it's considered blind, because it's kind of, you're barely getting any information back. It's a yes or no question. and You have like timing issues. So you're getting something, but it's not really visual. So it's blind, right? Then you have cross-site scripting. Um, It's out of band, right? Because you're not making a request like error-based SQL injection. And then in the same band that you made the request, you're getting the response back um, in, in a clear, obvious way. That, that's regular, right? Um, the blind one, you don't get a, the response back. And out of band is even different. Um, so out of band um, SQL injection, for example, would be forcing like the Oracle backend to make a DNS request to a host that you control. So it's not only blind, because it it came back to you in a non-visual way, but it didn't come back to you at all through the mechanism that you sent the request. So that's out of band. And cross-site scripting is out of band, right? Because you're putting it either into the app if it's persistent, or you're sending it to the user if it's reflected. Um, Or if it's blind, then it's it's definitely out of band. but it's that, in that case, it would be blind and out of band, right? So really interesting stuff to, to figure out how, how to assign these names. And similar to my, uh, the piece I did on security assessment types, people just randomly assign names to stuff like pen testing and, and red team and, and vulnerability assessment and blind and XSS and out of band and all this crap. And it's like, use the right term. Think, take some time. Use the right term. Don't apply extra labels just to make it sound cooler and make it more sellable or whatever. Um, anyway, that, that was what that was about. Um, the relationship between meaning, hormones, story, and music. Um, I'm not going to go into this one. I'm going to leave the link here. This is kind of a longer piece. I, I recommend you guys to go take a look at it. It's basically this, this model that I'm working on. It's imperfect right now. It's, it's not ready for full release yet. It's, it's a blog post. I mean, it's a blog, so I put it up there. But it, it's basically a, a complete link between the core meaning and human existence Linking that to hormones, that's why when we are teenagers, everything matters more. The music that we hear then, the the people that we know then, girlfriends or boyfriends matter more then. And the linking of that to the concept of narrative and story, right? And music has narrative and story. It also has the, the trends and the patterns. And my theory is basically that these trends and patterns tied to story are proxies for hormones, which actually magnify meaning. So it, it's an interesting idea. It's not 100% pounded out, but I would love if anyone was interested in it and actually wanted to chime in on it and, and sort of help it along. Um, anyway, the link is there. So um, next one, I created a new way of conceptualizing security vulnerabilities, uh, which I called multi-dimensional vulnerability hierarchies which um it is a good way to describe it i guess because it's well because it's a multi-dimensional vulnerability hierarchy the idea is that when you have um, one thing i've always sort of been bothered by an OWASP is that you have different ways of categorizing vulns and if you get 10 people on a call which uh, me and my buddy Jason have had multiple times, everyone disagrees on how to rank them. Do you rank them by severity? Do you rank them by the type of the vuln? Do you rank it by the impact? Do you rank it by the threat? Or who's trying to do it? Like there's so many different ways. So what I did was I took the same vulnerabilities, um, which I broke out a list, by the way. I added a whole bunch. It, I think it's a pretty decent hierarchy. I'm, I use it for testing. So um, it, it's a good set. But here's what's crazy about it. If you think about it as a testing methodology, it's organized one way. If you think about it in terms of impact, the whole thing reshuffles. If you think about it in terms of classification of what type it is, it reshuffles again. If you think about who the target is or the first interaction point, it reshuffles again. So you could basically look at the same bones in different contexts and get different lists. So that's what, that's what this project is Um, beginnings of of, of a project. And I've got the link there if you want to check it out. The idea is based on what you care about at the time, you could look at that and get it sorted according to what you care about. So it's a way of doing metrics. It's a way of doing testing methodologies or whatever. Next one, dueling dystopias. So I did a tweet last week, which is so far the most popular tweet I've ever done. It was was crazy. It's over a thousand retweets and likes. And it's actually a play off of some article I read, which was about a comic, which was about a book. Um, But it was basically a, a connection between, or a juxtaposition between Orwell and Huxley. So Orwell thought that we would want to be free and we would want to have knowledge and the government would come in and they would smash us down and they would control us um like like his book right huxley said you know what it's actually worse than that um the government won't have to do that because we won't care we won't care about pursuing knowledge we won't care about learning we, we will be so obsessed with just making ourselves happy and, and leisure and just screwing off really. Um, and the government won't have to stop us. And so what I wrote was, uh, Orwell argued that we would be denied knowledge. Huxley argued we wouldn't even want it. Huxley is winning. That's all I tweeted. And like, it took off. Um, And really, that was just a summary of this larger comic series, which was really cool. Um, But anyway, it was a cool concept. It's depressing. It really is. It's depressing that so few people really seem to want knowledge anymore, want to read the number of People that I know who, who read is, uh, is disturbing. Anyway, that was depressing. Um, between two ravines. So this is uh, something I just finished writing a couple of minutes ago. Um, will automation actually make humans unneeded in the traditional workforce this time, this, this cycle of technology? Or will humans just shift to doing more creative work? Right. So the idea is, if you ever get in this conversation about, oh, AI is going to take over this time, um, you know, the machine learning kind, it's going to take over this time, we're not going to have any jobs. Like there's this video called Humans Need Not Apply. And it talks about how automation is coming to transportation, which is the number one job provider in the uh, U.S. Um, So one argument is AI is about to take over. Another argument is, yeah, that's what Marx said. And Marx said that the Industrial Revolution was going to do this. And what happened was certain kinds of jobs left, but lots of other jobs were still around. And in fact, new jobs were created. And every time one type of job leaves, another kind is created and we just move on to something else. So don't worry about it. Stop freaking out. It's not the end of the world. And humans will have plenty of work to do forever and ever. The other side of that argument is two horses talking. And one horse is like, hey, have you seen this car thing? Like, this is bad. This is bad. Like, the car, like, they're not going to need horses. And the other horse says, are you kidding me? Like, we heard that about wagons. We heard that about, like, all this different stuff. And it never came true. Like, you keep thinking that something's going to replace horses, but it will never, ever happen. And then like a year later, Henry Ford comes on the scene and he actually kills off horses doing you know human transportation on a mass scale. So the question is, it's going to happen at some point. So when is this the one? That, that's really the question. Is this the one? Is AI really going to take out the need for human work or is this just another false start, like Marx in the Industrial Revolution? Got a link to it um, on the site there. Um, next one: public bounties too much noise. Best used to find good researchers. So, so I saw a uh, a presentation by the LinkedIn crew, and I talked to my buddy uh, Jason Haddock's about it because uh, he's at Bug Crowd and he's, he's got some strong opinions. So we, we talked through it quite a bit. But <clears throat> the idea was the uh, LinkedIn group were saying, you know, public bounties, they're a big mess and they create so much noise. And what you actually want to do is have private bounties, which Bug Crowd al- also has. They have private bounties as well. Um, but they're saying private bounties are much better because you have a smaller number of, of researchers and they're not producing noise and friction and uh, just garbage into your system, which requires overhead to address, um, which is really interesting. So, And, and then the conversation with, with Jason, I mean, what we were talking about is like, when you get to a certain point, then you're gonna need the crowd again to find new volts. So it's like this, this opening up and then closing and then opening up and closing. And if you're trying to address things in an efficient way, you have people submitting tons and tons of garbage, maybe that's not good. But also, if you've already fixed everything and you're only using those same researchers from a small bounty, um, maybe you're not going to find the stuff that's new that you can only find if you go out to like 1,000 people. So like, then you need to expand back out. So it's like one of the articles I wrote, I think, last week, or talked about last week or something, um, was um, basically about how you need to use different tools at different times, right? Pen testing, bug bounties, vulnerability assessment, red teaming. They're not the same. You don't need to use them at the same time. It's not one or the other. It's, It's a mixture, right? And this is another example of that, public versus private. So interesting conversation um disrupt finalists really interesting so um this company called unify id they just they actually won second place they won second place um in the disrupt san francisco 2016 competition which just finished last week and what they do <clears throat> is they um they gather metrics uh human movement human metrics basically human attributes from you as you're walking um, as you're typing as you're doing whatever moving it's got different ways of doing it but it gathers all this data about you and uses it to to determine how likely you are to be you at the time so for their demo they did this really cool thing so they, they logged into amazon the the main speaker walks over to his computer with his phone logs into Amazon with like a Chrome extension goes straight in then he hands his phone to the to the other presenter who walks like six steps and then walks back tries to do the exact same thing gets denied the algorithm knew that it wasn't him based on how he walked and he only took a few steps so it was totally sick and they're, they're talking about a hundred different attributes that make up you know inputs to the algorithm. Um, and the idea is that you would use that to prove that you were you instead of using a, a dumbass password. So really cool technology. Uh, they actually got second place. The one that won is called MobileLytics, which was a, a professional gaming trainer. It actually teaches you how to be a better professional gamer. And it teaches you how to be, if you're a mid-tier gamer, how to be a professional. So that was super cool. And I've got a link here to uh, something I wrote in like 2014 called the future of authentication, which talks about continuous authentication and how you have different levels of um, requirement for authentication for an action. So if you want to look at Facebook, then maybe you're already authenticated enough just based on it watching you walk. But maybe if you want to transfer $1,000 to somebody, now you need to do voice plus a fingerprint. So it's like you have different requirement levels for activities, and then you have different levels of proof based on the hundred different things that are coming in from your, your life, right? From your, your physical attributes and, and your walking and your voice and everything. And some of them could be passive and ambient and others are active. So it's really interesting combination. Um, basically I think that all of this is going to move to the mobile platform. I think Google is going to buy this stuff. I think Microsoft, well, they don't have mobile anymore, which is pretty sad, but Google and Apple will definitely be investing in this stuff if they're not already to basically have so much authentication information coming in from you from different ways so that, um, when you go to do sensitive things, you don't have to get interrupted all the time and put in a dumb password, <clears throat> which is weak anyway. You have different ways to prove that you are you, a lot of which are passive. So thats uh, that is that. All right. Last section. Um, recommended links. So um, the six disrupt finalists uh, actually have the... Um, the link that goes to the page that talks about all six, but I'll talk real quick about what they all are. Blazing DB is like crazy fast uh, databases, all based on distributed GPUs. Super cool. Carbon Health, completely mobile and interactive healthcare. The, the app is sick. And the, the link I have here, you've got to go watch these pitches for all six of these. Just absolutely fantastic stuff. Everly Well, is home medical testing kits. So they send you the stuff, you send it back and and you're done. You get these awesome metrics. Uh, Mobilitics is the customized professional gamer training. That's the one I talked about. Um, Screen is application security for developers. This actually reminded me of a whole bunch of technology that already exists. Um, Just because, you know, we're in the InfoSec space, so we know this. But uh, it reminded me of like... um, Previty, and a couple of other RASP uh, solutions. But, um, oh, except for except for one difference. They had like Python and a bunch of like um, interpreted languages and not just like .NET and Java. And then Unify ID is the one we already talked about. But definitely check out the link, check out the pitches, really good stuff. Uh, next one is a <clears throat> A16Z podcast on how the way you say something matters just as much or more than what you say in like Kickstarter campaigns, job descriptions, resumes. So this company called Textio, uh, the one of the researchers came on and she was talking with uh, Sonal from um, A16Z and they were talking through uh, the coolest example was they looked at all Kickstarter projects going back for a certain amount of time they were able to predict with 90% accuracy which Kickstarter campaigns would get would reach their funding goals based on just looking at the pitch, looking at the writing. So they got a whole bunch of machine learning um, and, and they're basically doing analysis of phrases and like vocabulary and different things. And they could tell when something's going to be successful. And Now they're being hit up by like screenwriter companies who are like, can you predict whether this is going to be a good movie. And just think of all the different applications of that. It's completely crazy. And I have a link to the podcast here. Um, The Joy of Intelligent Proactive Security by Netflix. Phenomenal talk on how the Netflix team uses their own in-house tools to manage their security program. I am telling you, this is a sick talk. And I have the link there. Got to go look at this talk. Uh, New features in iOS 10. So about half of the people listening to this, um, based on some metrics I looked at several months ago, are probably using iOS, and a bunch of those people have probably upgraded to iOS 10. So most popular features, if you haven't heard them, I want to do a really super fast summary here. Um, The widget pane, if you swipe left, is really powerful. Um, If you swipe the other direction, Actually, if you swipe your thumb to the left, um, the other one is swiping to the right uh, to get to the left. But if you swipe to the left to get to the right, from the lock screen, you get your f- camera. So you don't have to click an icon or do anything like that. You could just swipe and get your camera. Um, Siri works with third-party apps. You get interact, uh, interactive notifications on the lock screen. Apple Maps now knows where you parked your car. That's pretty cool. Um, in route options during trips. So you can swipe up and say, I'm going to go eat. And it'll tell you how long you'll be diverted if you do that. Um, memories and photos. This is really sick. So if you go to Vegas and you hang out or do whatever, and you take pictures and videos, it builds you a movie automatically with sound, with music associated with it. And you can even create the movie with like, Different kind of sound, like epic, uh, emotional, like tearjerker type stuff or whatever. Imagine doing this with the family and kids. And it basically builds videos for you using AI and turns into these perfect home movies um, w- with different feels based on the stuff that you do. And it auto builds them and auto names them. It's like completely sick. Um, lyrics are now in music. You can copy and paste between multiple devices. And voicemails are automatically transcribed for you now. Um, And the link here actually has 25 different features. But I thought those were uh, worth hearing on the podcast in case you didn't know about them. Next one, cognitive bias cheat sheet this is this link here fantastic summary of the various different forms of uh cognitive bias and um, so wikipedia has a great article on this that i always use to look at the different types of cognitive bias but this one here it, it's a better summary right it actually references the wikipedia article but it just it puts them in better categories uh, more like i like to read stuff uh check out the link um here's also a link to an anti-snowden um movie and perspective written for slate so in infosec we have lots of different perspectives about how snowden is a total hero and how he's just you know he's been shafted and it's not cool and he got screwed over tons of information about that tons of people believing that and and putting it forth. You have the pardon campaign going out and everything. This is another perspective. It's talking about, um, well, you could just read it. It's basically a, no, he's not a hero necessarily. I don't think it's hundred percent anti him, but it's like, look, you're not getting the whole picture. Here's some information you should know. Only reason I'm including it because I'm not 1000% decided on the whole thing myself is, um, just to give you another perspective, right? In case you're only hearing from one side, it's a little bit of balance there. Another article here, Wi-Fi pen testing with Pineapple Nano, OS 10 and BetterCap. Really, really cool link there. Um, Browse the surface of Mars in super clear resolution. This is fantastic. It's a web interface. You can actually zoom in and around and it looks like Arizona. It's crazy. You could see like the little, you see rocks, you can see the shadows. It is insane to me to look up in the sky, see the red planet, and then browse around on the screen and look at the surface. Like it blows my mind. Anyway, there's a link there. And final link here, Mark Andreessen's recommended books. Some really cool stuff, as you might expect, lots of entrepreneurship stuff, but uh, some other stuff there as well. And uh, finally, inspiration. This is from Bertrand Russell. Real life is, to most men, a long second best, a perpetual compromise between the ideal and the possible. That is it for this episode. And, uh, Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks for listening. And please be sure to sign up for the newsletter to get a clean summary of everything we talked about. And if you like the show, please recommend it to your friends. We'll see you next time.